We've been discovering again on Sunday evenings all of the main points of teaching about the Gospel which the Apostle Paul unfolds in his letters. He explains our, our position before God as sinners and why, therefore, the Gospel is even necessary at all. You speak of salvation and so you need to know and understand exactly what it is that you've been saved from and how it is that God has accomplished that for you in Jesus Christ. But that's not all that salvation involves. You've also been saved to and for something as well as being saved from something. Salvation is about conversion and being born again. And so by definition and of necessity completely transforms the life of one who has been made alive in Christ. When you read through the New Testament account of the early church you cannot fail to notice that it cost men and women dear to be followers and disciples of Christ. For many, it cost them their life. And in Jesus himself, even, his, even early in his earthly ministry, he experienced opposition and persecution and made it abundantly clear that all who follow him can expect the same. I'm still not sure that even today, the church in the Western world really takes that seriously. We often speak and behave and even pray as if we think that persecution and opposition shouldn't really apply to us. Almost as if we think that a gentler and easier path is ours by right because, well, this is Britain. To think like that is to delude ourselves. It is to ignore the Bible. It is even to make Jesus out to be a liar. This evening we're going to look at another unmistakable and unmissable aspect of Paul's teaching, which is that to be a Christian in any place and in any age will require perseverance, no matter what. We're going to study this by way of three short phrases. Stand fast, work hard, endure hardship. So first of all, stand fast. Here's Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And he encourages Timothy. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, because you'll need that strength if you're going to stand fast. Stand fast. Hold your ground. Do not move. Now, from time to time, I get asked questions such as this. How is the church going to move on? To which I usually reply, it isn't. We're going to stay right here. 
You see, we need to be careful when using unbiblical language and terminology. When people ask, how is the church going to move on? I often encourage people to find me that question or anything even close to it in the New Testament. What exactly is it that people mean when they ask a question like that? How is the church moving on? In the past I've asked people to come back to me with an example of a New Testament church which is moving on so that they can show me what they mean. I'm still waiting. I can find churches in the New Testament moving out in gospel witness, typically by appointing and sending men to preach in places where the gospel has not yet been preached. Moving out, I can see that. I'm very glad to talk about that. But moving on, to what? What I do find repeatedly in the epistles is remain in, grow in, stand fast in, hold on to, continue in. That's the, that's the language used by the apostles. For the most part in the New Testament letters, you don't find Paul and others introducing a whole load of new doctrine or even methodology. On the contrary, you generally find them going back over all the basics of the gospel, reminding them of all the things they've been told before and expanding upon them. In fact, when I think of one very obvious example of a church which did move on, it only drew a stinging rebuke from Paul. Oh, Galatians, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You see, the truth is that if you read through your New Testament and then follow that up with church history, you'll discover that 99 times out of 100, whenever a church has moved on, it has actually moved away. Away from the gospel and away from biblical Christianity. So be very careful what you ask for. Paul says, stand fast. Stand fast in the Lord. For that, you need sound doctrine because God has revealed his only message of salvation in the Bible and in his word he shows us the truths which make up that gospel. By the way, the important thing is to stand fast in the message of the gospel. Sinners are not saved by a method of gospel witness, but by the message of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. Don't worry too much about a method Know the message and declare it. That's the biblical way. To stand fast in the Lord, you need to be a man or woman of saving faith in whom God's Spirit 
is at work. And God teaches us how he's to be worshipped. He teaches us the obedience to his word, which is required of his children. And so if you're going to be obedient in all of these kinds of things, you need to know his word. So to stand fast in the Lord, you need to be a man or woman of the Bible. And you need to be a man or woman of prayer. But are you even in the Lord at all this evening? Is your starting point to realise that you're not even there yet? In which case you must begin where I just began. You must start with that message of salvation, which God has shown us in the Bible, centred as it is upon the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. To be in the Lord is to be in Christ, in repentance and faith. To stand fast in the Lord is to stand fast in Christ. So you have to have made that your starting point. And then you continue to stand in Christ. You never move from there. You abide in him. Paul mentions traditions in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, many Christians balk at the word tradition, but by it, Paul simply means all of the gospel truth and gospel living that they have been shown and taught. How to live at home, how to live in the church, how to serve in the church, how to live and serve in your place of work as a Christian. He calls them traditions because these are things which never change. Stand fast. Remain in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Concentrate on staying right there. So many people start there, but then depart and move away. Stand fast. Pray that others, preach that others, witness that others may also be brought into that grace that is in Christ Jesus. But stand fast in it. Number two, work hard. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, working hard. Uses the word labour. That gives the, the impulse of, of hard, heavy grind. Now, Paul knew that God had his elect people chosen before the foundation of the world for whom Christ died. Paul knew that only those elect ones would come to saving faith. He knew that God has given the preaching of the gospel as the means by which the elect are called in. Paul had a heart to see that happen. 
so he worked hard at gospel preaching. Paul knew that God, in something of a mystery, works through the prayers of his people. He knew that gospel success depends upon prayer. He knew that his own spiritual life and walk depended upon prayer. He knew that the new converts and churches that were being established needed to be soaked in the prayers of God's people. Paul had a heart to see that happen, so he worked hard at praying. Paul had a great love for the Lord's people. And when he was with them, he had a heart to care for them deeply. So he worked hard at caring. He knew that Christians start out as spiritual babies and need to grow. And to grow, they need to be taught the word of God. And he had a heart to see them grow. And so he worked hard at teaching. You may not be a preacher. You may not be a teacher. But all Christians must pray. And all Christians should care. And the Holy Spirit equips and enables all of you to witness and to serve in some capacity within the church, within your home, whatever that is. Here in Paul is the example to follow. Have a heart to do it and work hard doing it for Christ's sake. Stand fast. Work hard. And thirdly, he exhorts us to endure hardship. Now, I want to take a little more time on this theme and I want to break it down into three sections. Here's the first. Hardship is to be expected and accepted. He wrote to Timothy, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In the Western church, we still, I think, for the most part, have not understood or accepted what the Bible teaches about suffering and persecution. It seems to me that for the most part, the view of many Christians is that suffering is something to be avoided at all costs and persecution is simply to be protested against because we deserve better than that and frankly, it's just not cricket. Why do Christians seem to be continued to be surprised that unbelieving men and women who for the most part despise God and despise the Bible and who are dead and blind and deaf to spiritual things, as dead and blind and deaf as it's possible to be, why do Christians seem to be surprised that such people have no regard for what the Bible teaches when they pass legislation in Parliament? But they should, you might say. Well, your desire that they would is a good desire. Your expectation that they will, or even that they might, 
is about as misplaced as any expectation can be. They have no regard for God. And for the most part, they couldn't care less what you or I think about God and his word. That's the, that's the reality. We live in a fallen, godless, wicked world that does fallen, godless, wicked things. Here's Paul in prison again and for longer than ever before. His crime? Preaching Christ. And he writes to Timothy. Timothy, he says, start a campaign against this great injustice that I'm receiving. How dare they treat me like this? Don't they know who I am? Don't they see that I have a right as a child of God not to be treated like this? Don't they see that I deserve religious freedom and an easy religious experience? Write to your MP, Timothy. Write to the government. Complain. Protest. This is awful. Now, you are at complete liberty to do any of those things. And if it's on your conscience that you should, then you should. But you have to realise that when you do, you are the one with sight complaining to the one who has no sight. You are the one who has ears to hear addressing someone who can't hear a thing. You are the one who's been made, you've been made alive in Christ, addressing one who's still dead in trespasses and sins. And you should, for the most part, unless the Lord intervenes in a miraculous way, you should expect, for the most part, that their reply, even if you get one, will be a fairly accurate reflection of their fallen and sinful nature. Now, there were times in the Old Testament when God turned the hearts of pagan kings in favour of his people. And I believe that God is still able to do exactly that today. But there were many more times in Old Testament Israel when God did not do that. King Agrippa told Paul that he'd almost persuaded him. But Paul never again gained his freedom and was eventually executed. I find myself drawn back to the Apostle Paul in his confinement, and I cannot escape the words which he actually writes to his young fellow worker. Timothy, share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A soldier. A good one. What do we equate with soldier? Warfare. Battle. Tough. Injuries. Soldiers. Not snowflakes. I think that for the most part the church in the western world the penny just still hasn't dropped. We don't want our faith to cost us dear. Even with the words of our Saviour ringing in our ears, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Oh, that we would let that penny drop in our hearts, that we might be ready to endure hardship for the cause of Christ. 
because secondly, hardship will always do you spiritual good. Paul could write to the Corinthians, therefore we don't lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. My fear is that we value spiritual maturity too little and earthly comforts and pleasures too much and that too many of us would actually choose to avoid the outward perishing even if it meant losing out on the inner renewal. I hope I've got that wrong. Paul could testify, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's conclusion, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Seems to me that for the most part, we want the power of Christ to show itself in ridding us of infirmities. Is Paul mad? Take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and persecutions. Aren't we supposed to rise up in indignation against those things? It seems that if we're not very careful, we'll have to concede that we might be following an altogether different understanding of the gospel than that of the apostle. I fear there's still much of God's word that as yet we have not submitted ourselves to. Hardship will always do you spiritual good. And thirdly, hardship is often the path to winning others to Christ. I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Getting others to come to Christ involves getting them to sit in a comfy seat in a splendid auditorium to hear a dazzling preacher do all the hard work and I get to sit in a comfy seat next to them. Or if not that, someone provides me with an easy ABC guide to winning souls and I take people through my little spiel that I've learned and out pops a new Christian at the end. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, that's how people get saved. Well, now people can get saved that way. God can use all sorts of means and methods. But I find myself being drawn back to the Apostle Paul in his imprisonment. I endure all things that others may obtain the salvation which is in Christ. I endure all things for their sake. And as his words ring in my ears, I find that I cannot help but come to the conclusion that seeing others come to Christ is often going to be far more arduous and difficult and costly than the picture that I have in my mind. And with Paul and the other apostles, the example we observe in them is this, enduring for the sake of the elect that they might come to Christ. Writing to the Philippian church, Paul would say, I want you to know, brethren, 
that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it's become evidence to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains, he's a prisoner again, are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I can't help thinking that we spend most of our time praying that God would save us from the chains, whilst the early church was encouraged by the chains in order to save the lost. Rather than turning to protesting, they turned to proclaiming and preaching. Many Christians today keep forgetting about the very oppressive circumstances in which most early Christians lived and the oppressive governments under which they lived, far more oppressive than anything we have ever known or probably ever will for a very long time in this country, even despite the direction that we're heading in. If arrested, they would argue their case, but once released, they didn't spend their time protesting, they just got back to the business of proclaiming and preaching. And I'm also struck by Paul's joy and peace and rejoicing and thanksgiving. And I suspect that many of us would long to have those things in the same measure that Paul enjoyed them. But we haven't yet understood that it's only by enduring through the kinds of hardships that Paul endured, then it is that those levels of joy and peace and rejoicing and thankfulness may be known. The exhortations of Paul are unavoidable and unmistakable and are also a faithful echo of everything taught by Christ which we haven't had time to go into this evening. Persevering, no matter what, is in large part the Christian life. Stand fast, says Paul repeatedly. Work hard. Endure hardship. That actually was Christ's life and you have been called to follow him.